are here with us this morning. Uh, if you are visiting with us, let me take a second just to introduce myself. My name is Stacy McLean, and my husband Chris and I have been able to call Crosstown home now for almost 20 years. I know because that's how old my daughter is. So she was an infant when we started coming. And um, I'm just excited to be with you guys this morning and to share with you as we continue in our series, Plotline. So we're right in the middle of this series, Plotline, and this has been an amazing series. I don't know about you guys, but for someone like myself, I've grown up in the church and have, am familiar with the story of God, but Plotlines is helping us to see the Bible as the story of God and how it relates to us. And I have learned so much through this series. And we've covered things like eternal life, atonement, the covenants. Last week, Pastor Paul tackled the topic of the triune God. I remember the first time I ever heard the word triune. It was only, I don't know, eight, 10 years ago, something like that. I remember I called Pastor Paul and I said, what in the world does triune mean? I don't understand. They keep calling him a triune God. And he said, it just means he's in three persons. It's the Trinity. I was like, oh, okay. So these topics can be a bit overwhelming at times. There's so much in what we're learning. The videos have been phenomenal. They are so helpful. But if you are like me, I wanna watch those videos over and over again because watching them one time is not enough for me. I get distracted and then I have to try and refocus and remember what I'm learning. So I wanna encourage you, if you don't have our app, download our app. And then on our app, it will have the plot line graphic. You'll see it and all of the sermons are there. There are notes there. And for some of the sermons, there are also study guide resources for you to be able to click on to have further information because this is a lot. It's a lot of information. So we want to encourage you, use the app, use the resources that are available to you. As I was thinking about that and thinking about how it plays out in my personal life, it's kind of like, would you ever go to the gas station, drive your car up to the gas station, fill your tank up with gas, and then park your car at the gas station? You would never do that, would you? You don't go to the gas station just to fill the tank up and park the car at the gas station. You go to the gas station so you can put gas in your car so you can go other places. Coming to church on Sunday morning is like going to that gas station, getting some gas for your tank, and then going places with God. He is inviting you to bring him into your everyday life. And I know for a lot of us, we come on Sunday mornings and we're like, okay, good, I went to church. Now I'm gonna go about the rest of my day, do my laundry, get my grocery list ready for the week, prepare for the week. But God is inviting us to, from what we do on Sunday mornings, interact with him every single day, bring him into every single part of your life. And so I wanna encourage you to do that because that's when you see a real difference. That's when you begin seeing the kingdom of God in, realized in your lives and in the lives of those around you. So today we are gonna continue on our series and we're gonna be looking at the idea of us bearing the image of God. So um, we're gonna be watching a video from our, our friends and on the Bible Project and they're gonna be talking to us about this idea of the image of God. If you grew up in the church or you've been around church people, you may have heard that or be familiar with the idea that all humans bear the image of God. But what in the world does that mean? 
What does it mean that we bear the image of God? And so as we watch this video, there are a couple of things that I hope stand out to you. There are two specific things I want you to notice in the video, and we're gonna kind of spend some time looking at that and talking about that a little bit more. The first one is that God's plan is for all humans to bear his image. That is clear in scripture, in the Bible, God's plan is for every single human to bear his image. The second thing is that Christ is the best example that we have, and he came to serve, not to be served. So those are the two things I want you to pay attention to in the video. They do a great job of breaking this down and explaining it. Let's take a look and watch the video. So if you lived in ancient Bible times, odds are you lived under the authority of a king. And many of these kings claimed that they were gods, and they would even call themselves the image of God. Meaning they had authority to tell people what to do, order things to be made. Yeah, they got to define good and evil. And these kings would often make statues of themselves, which in Hebrew were called selim, often translated as idol or image. But for Israel... They didn't view their kings as the God. In fact, they were never supposed to even make images of God. It's exactly right. And that was really unique for that time and culture. This is rooted, first of all, in Israel's belief that you can't reduce the creator God down to any one thing in creation. But there's another reason. People aren't to make images of God because God has already made images of himself. When did he do that? Let's go to page one of the Bible. And the first person we meet there is God. He's the one with authority over all creation. He speaks and creation obeys. And he defines what is good and not good. In other words, he alone is king. But then surprisingly, as the pinnacle of all of God's creative work, he makes humans. And he calls all of them the image of God. So he gives all humans the authority to rule. Exactly. That's what he goes on to say. He tells the humans to subdue the earth and to rule it. And so this task that once belonged only to elite kings is here in the Bible the task of every human being. This was a revolutionary statement in its day because all humans are being called to rule and to participate in the human project. So what does this mean? I mean, how are we all supposed to rule? So the picture we get in Genesis is gardening. Gardening? Yes. Gardening. So they rule the earth by cultivating it, by harnessing all of the earth's raw potential and then making something more and new out of it. So growing food for each other. Yes, but that also includes growing families then, which become neighborhoods. And then they create communities where people are going to work and take care of each other and build businesses and cities that will expand to new places and so on. So ruling is really the day-to-day acts of our work and creativity. Yes, we take the world somewhere. This is humanity's divine and sacred task. Yeah, and this all sounds really nice. And humans have designed some pretty great things. But just as often we create things that cause a lot of suffering and a lot of injustice, so maybe we shouldn't actually be ruling. Yeah, so the Bible addresses this. In Genesis, what happens is that God gives humans a choice about how they're going to rule. So are they going to use their authority for the benefit of others, which is God's definition of good, or are they going to turn away and define good and evil for themselves and use their authority for self-advantage? And in the story, they choose to define good 
good and evil on their own terms. And so this is the Bible's depiction of the human condition. So sometimes we pull off amazingly good stuff, but just as often, despite our best intentions, we act selfishly and we create evil in the world. And so we're stuck as mediocre rulers making a mess of things. But that's not the end of the story. So the Bible goes on and it makes this claim that all of this was resolved when God bound himself to humanity through Jesus. And he showed us what it looks like to truly rule as a human. So what does it look like? Well, Jesus ruled by serving and by seeking the best for others, by putting himself underneath them and loving not just his friends, but also his enemies. And that's not a typical way to rule. And not only that, Jesus confronted the consequences of all of the evil and the death that we have created by our messed up ways of ruling. And he takes it. I mean, he lets it kill him. And so when the New Testament writers looked back to Jesus' resurrection, they see a whole new future opening up for all humanity. Jesus is a new way to be human. Yeah, that's why they called Jesus the image of God or the new human. And not only that, they also believe that Jesus' divine life and power is now available to heal and to transform us to become our life and power. And this sounds really nice, but what does it really look like? So practically, the Apostle Paul said it looks like people being filled by Jesus' own presence and spirit, filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and integrity and gentleness and self-control. He says this is the new humanity that God wants to create in us so that we become people in whom God's image is being restored, people who will move the human project forward. And that's actually how the story of the Bible ends. It's a renewed world where God is on his throne and his servants are all around him, but they're the ones ruling over this new world, taking it into new uncharted territory with Jesus as their healer and their guide. So maybe if you are a little like me, and um, before you watched that video, you kind of thought the idea of us being the image bearer of God meant that we were conscious beings, we had reasoning skills, maybe we share some characteristics that are the same um, with God. And I think those things are true, but I think the picture that we get in Genesis chapter 1 is a little bit more than that. And I hope from the video you saw that, but let's look at Genesis chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to open them and look at it. If not, you can follow along. It'll be on the screen. But one of the reasons I want you to look at it in your actual Bible, it, it, it comes whether you're reading your Bible digitally or um, in print. There, there, it's always confused me, and I'll talk about it in just a second, but I want you to follow along. It says, Genesis 1, uh, starting in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
I love how we are told that when God created man in his image, he tells them that they are to rule, that they are to have dominion, that they are to subdue. But why I wanted you to look at it in your Bible, whether it's your hard copy or your digital version, if you look at verse 27, it's like written in paragraph form. And then verse 27 is a sentence that's separate all by itself. It kind of stands out and it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. That verse is the very first evidence that we have that God is so artistic and creative. It's actually a poem. It's the first Hebrew poem that we have. This part of the Bible was written in Hebrew and it was written, that verse is written in poetry form. And I think that's beautiful that God, when he's describing his creation and he's describing us, he's describing us in in poetic, beautiful language. The apostle Paul in Ephesians 2.10 goes on to tell us For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10, it says we are his workmanship. That word workmanship is poema. It's where we get the English word for poem. Isn't that beautiful to see how the beginning of Genesis comes all the way through the Bible into Ephesians and that we are called his work of art and we've been created, those of us who are now in Christ Jesus, to do good work. So we see this theme throughout the entire Bible that we were created to do work. We are God's work of art. And he's, I love it, it says, God prepared beforehand that we should walk in the work that he's created for us to do. But as we saw in the video, these first humans decided, you know, I know God has this plan for us to rule and to have authority, but I think I know a little bit more than God knows. So I'm, I'm going to take that authority and decide instead of producing flourishing and things to grow, I'm going to decide what's right. I'm going to decide between good and evil. Um, and sometimes we call that the fall. That's known in Genesis 3 as the fall. It's when mankind decides that they know better than God and they want to determine what's right and wrong. And that's not something God wanted us to have that authority. He did give us authority to rule over the earth, but to do it in a way that brings about life and flourishing. So I think a lot of us find ourselves falling into that trap. We think there is no way that God wants to use me, or there's no way God can use me. I think some of us really feel that way. We think we are either too dumb, we're either too old, too young, too single, too married, too rich, too poor, too introverted, too extroverted. I mean, we can come up with excuses all day long why we think God cannot use us or does not want to use us. And the truth is, for a lot of us, we do have broken relationships in our lives. We have been selfish. We have made mistakes. We have done things wrong. But that's the beauty of God. He chooses to use us in our brokenness. There is not a single story in the Bible of God using a perfect person other than Jesus Christ, who was God himself. Other than that, you are not going to find a single example of someone in scripture who didn't mess up. King David, you guys, he like slept with this woman, got her pregnant and killed her husband. I'm just saying that's, and that's the King. That's King David. I mean, there's story after story. Gideon, he was so afraid. He didn't believe that he had the confidence to do anything. Noah, after the flood, 
grew a vineyard and got drunk. I'm just saying there are a lot of things in the Bible that when you read it, you're like, whoa, okay. God doesn't want to use perfect people. He is a perfect God and has a perfect plan to use us in our brokenness so that the glory can be his, so he can say, look. And he's inviting us into this. We see that God is calling us to cultivate the land. In Genesis 1, it is not a suggestion. It's not like, hey, you know, I'm going to create you. You guys are the pinnacle of creation. Humankind is the pinnacle. And if you feel like it, maybe you want to garden, maybe you want to cultivate, maybe you want to work. No, it's a mandate given to us by God. He is asking us, he is calling us to cultivate the land. And so that's the question we need to be thinking about in our own lives when we think about being the image bearer of God. Where is he calling you to cultivate the land? Where is he calling you to work for the betterment of others? Where is he asking you to start working in the land around you? That's in your relationships, that's in your job, that's in the things that you do every day, that's in your community. Where is God opening up a door for you to step into and begin cultivating, begin working that land? But I do think a lot of us doubt God in that. I mean, I fall into that category sometimes where I'm like, I don't think God's using me. I don't think God could use me. And in my personal experience, I've found there are three things that I tend to um, fall into a trap of struggling with from time to time if I think I can't be used by God or God doesn't want to use me. Surely God doesn't want to use me. I mean, he's got Pastor Paul. Look how great Pastor Paul is at preaching and declaring the word of God. Why would he want to use me? That's a lie. I have a different gift set than Pastor Paul, and God does want to use me, but I struggle sometimes worrying about or thinking about the passion to do it or my purpose or the power that's been given to me. So quickly, I just want to show you guys some of those things that God's been showing me that, you know, a lot of times we have lost our passion for the word of God, for the kingdom of God to be realized. And in the last couple of years, there've been a lot of things that have happened in our world that have caused us to become apathetic. Like what's, what difference is it gonna make? If God wants it to happen, it's gonna happen because I mean, he's God and he can make things happen. Yes, but he invites us to be co-heirs with Christ, to be vice regents, to represent him. But for some of us, we've lost that passion. We've lost that fire. The apostle Paul tells Timothy, no, you need to fan into flame that gift that God has given you. If you are in Christ, if you have given your life to Christ, then you have been given supernatural gifts of the spirit of God, and we need to reignite that passion. God's word is very clear on this because when we don't have a passion for the word of God or for the kingdom of God, we're lazy. That's the opposite of being passionate for him, is being lazy. I love the New Living Translation. Romans 12, 11 in the New Living Translation says, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. It's real clear right there. We are told, do not be lazy. As a matter of fact, when Jesus is talking about, he's sharing parables about the kingdom 
of heaven. In Matthew 25, he shares this parable where he says, um, the owner, the master goes away. He's going away on a trip. And so he calls his servants and he gives each of his servants talents. If, you, if you're familiar with it, it's the, the talents parable. And so for one, he gives five talents. Another, he gives three talents. Another, he gives one talent. And the first two guys invest, they grow, they cultivate. But the third guy takes that one talent And he says, oh man, I knew you as a hard master. And so I knew that you can gather where you didn't plant. And so because of that, I just went and hid your money. And I I know you gave me this precious gift because a talent was a lot of money, you guys. I don't remember, it was like $12,000 in today's time or something. So even one talent was a significant gift that was given. And, but this guy's like, nah, I just buried it. You know what the master says in that parable? You lazy, wicked servant. Don't do that. See, the servant had the idea of, I mean, you pretty much are sovereign. You're in control. You can do what you want. You don't really need me. No. Some of us walk around just kind of going, you know, I mean, if God wants it to happen, he's going to make it happen. Maybe God's tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, you're my plan. You are it. It's not plan B. I've always wanted to use you. But some of us get in our own heads and we have a hard time with that. I love the Apostle Paul goes on to remind us that the victory comes through Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he tells us because of the victory that's been given to us through Christ, we are called to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, our labor is not in vain. In the amplified version, it says work to the point of exhaustion. We are called to be immovable, to be steadfast, working in the Lord. That's what he's calling us to do and to remember that our labor is not done in vain. But some of us have stepped out and we haven't gotten the response that we thought we were supposed to get. We think we may have missed the boat. And so we quit working and we're like, well, I guess if God wants it to happen, he's just going to make it happen. He's here to remind you this morning, that's not what his Bible tells us. That's not what the scriptures tell us. They tell us that we are to work hard and enthusiastically doing the work that he has laid out for us to do. And the victory will come through Christ. We are called to work and God is going to bring about the victory. I think a lot of us have forgotten that. And so we've lost our purpose We find ourselves sometimes in situations where we struggle for what is our purpose. I mean, have any of you in the last month, week, thought, I don't know what my purpose is. I wonder what my purpose is. I still struggle with that at times, and I have to have other people help me, and I go back to God's word. The purpose that we have, I think we get hung up on our purpose because we think it's this big thing. When I say what is your purpose? It's like, uh, you, you think that you've got to give this big, huge answer for what your purpose is, that it's going to be, I'm going to start this nonprofit organization. I'm going to travel the world and spread the gospel. I'm going to do all of these great, big, wonderful things. And I don't think that's what we see in scripture. When I think about the apostle Paul who fulfilled the purpose of God, so much so that 2000 years later, we're still talking about him and he was a man like we are. You know what the apostle Paul spent a lot of his time doing? Walking, sitting in prison and writing letters. I don't think there's a single person today who's like, that's the best big vision purpose ever. No, he walked, he walked it out. He wrote letters of encouragement and he sat in a prison cell. 
I think those things kind of seem mundane, and to a lot of us, we get caught up on that. But our purpose is fulfilled in everyday moments with faithful steps of obedience done over time. I think we lose that understanding, but it really is everyday moments, faithful steps of obedience done consistently over time. That is what our purpose is. That's how our purpose is fulfilled. And our purpose is to bring about flourishing in the lives of those around us by spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ with kindness and love and mercy. That's what the church is called to do. That's what we as individual members of the church are called to do. That is our purpose. That's it. You are to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to those around you and help bring about flourishing in the lives of those around you, those that you interact with, and you do it every day consistently over time. You know, I think for some of us, we also forget the power that we have. We kind of struggle with it. We think, well, I can't do that. I'm not smart enough to do that. I don't understand how to do that. I don't have the ability to do that. But we have been given power through the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So God's not asking us to work this strength in our own, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. He is asking us today to reignite our passion to recognize our purpose and to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so we can do the work that God has called us to do. I think some of us don't necessarily suffer from that, like not thinking God can't use us. I don't think that's where we get hung up. I think some of us get hung up in the idea of being selfish, and that has happened to me in the last year. The selfishness in my life has been overwhelming. And I don't think I started out wanting to be selfish, but for a lot of us, there are different things that happen that cause us to be selfish. Mine is in the form of pain. It may be loneliness for you. It may be rejection. It may be the loss of a dream or a hope for you has caused you to revert to selfishness. Uh, practically for me, I've been in a lot of pain with my arm. I hurt my shoulder about a year ago. And I used to, in the mornings, wake up and my first thought was thankfulness to God. That was, I had just kind of developed a practice of that. But in the last year, the pain in my arm is so intense that when I wake up in the morning, my very first thought is, my arm hurts. It hurts so bad. And from there, I go down into a complete pit of navel gazing and just thinking about myself all day, staring at myself all day, paying attention to me all day. So I want to ask you, think about where do your thoughts lead you throughout the day? Are you thinking about others? Or are you thinking about yourself? Are you, when's the last time you did something for someone else that had nothing to do to serve yourself? See, I do stuff for other people, but it's so that they'll do something for me in return. <laughs> I mean, I'm just being honest. That's why I'm nice to other people a lot of times. And the Lord is totally convicting me on that. So you guys can question me over the next couple of months and ask me how I'm doing to do that. Remember, God's called all people to bear his image. He's called all of us to work at this, but he knew that we would struggle with a lack of purpose, with being selfish, with not believing that we can do it. And so he sent Jesus Christ as the perfect example to show us what the image of God is. Over and over again, I was blown away this past week studying the New Testament and seeing how many times Jesus is called the image of God. 
brought in the form of God. And we learned last week, Jesus Christ is God. And so the idea that we have Christ as our example, and the example he set was to serve, not to be served. Christ did not come so that he could be served. He came and humbled himself so that he could serve us. We see it over and over again in scripture. Um, He tells them at one point, you know, listen, who is more important, the one that's reclining at the table or the one that is serving? And he says, look, yeah, it's the one who gets to recline. We think that person's more important, but I didn't come to do that. I came to serve. I came to serve. And then the apostle Paul goes on to echo this, Philippians 2, 3 through 6. Philippians chapter 2 is such a great chapter. I encourage you, go back and read it. There's some great stuff in there. I wish I had time to talk to you about all of it. Um, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I love this verse. I love this verse so much that it was my memory verse um, for our mentorship program one month. And what really stood out to me was that idea that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And I tried to figure out what that meant because he was in the form of God, but he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Do you know what it literally translates? It literally translates that he didn't see it as a thing to be held onto for advantage. Christ is God. He came in the form of God and in the form of humans so we can relate to him. And he did not come to take advantage of us. He came to lay his life down for us and to serve us. And our response should be, we magnify the name of the Lord. That we lift his name up on high because he has come to lay his life down for us. God did not use his position for his own advantage, but for the advantage of others. That's the example that Christ demonstrates to us. He is here to serve us. He came and laid his life down. And he's asking us, are we going to be self-serving? Are we going to be others-oriented? Are we gonna be selfish? Are we gonna be selfless? That's the question he's asking us today. We want to bear the image of God that he wants us to bear. He's shown us through Christ what that is to look like. And it is not to serve for our own gain and for our own advantage. We're told over and over again, that's not what we're called to do. So are we willing to do that? Are we willing to step into what God is calling us to do? Again, the apostle Paul tells us in Colossians, he's saying, put off the old self, put on the new self that is renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Put on this new self, put on this idea of being like Christ in serving those around you. Instead of thinking you're gonna come in and you're gonna lead people to Christ and you're gonna lead them to God, How about serve them? How about get down with them and get in the muck and the mire and the dirt? Cultivating is always talked about in working the ground, getting dirty. And some of us, we just want the end result. We don't wanna get dirty. We don't wanna get in there and get in the muck. 
but he's asking us to step into those messy situations and to serve others so that they can see Christ. I think so often, and I'm talking to myself in this too, I can quote a Bible verse like that, man. I can just pop it out. Oh, you're struggling with that? Well, you should read this verse. You should hear this verse. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't encourage each other with the word of God, but sometimes my friends and my family don't want me spouting scripture at them. They want me down there in the dirt with them, being in the mess, praying with them, trying to empathize with what they're going through, coming alongside of them and helping them when they're in a situation that is difficult and overwhelming. And that's what he's inviting us to do. That's what we're being called to do. I love Psalm 90, 17. It's kind of been floating around. We, as a staff, we have a text and we've been kind of texting this to each other and praying it. And now we are praying that over you guys, over our family. Psalm 90, 17 says, let the favor of the Lord, our God, that word favor can also be translated beauty. Again, he is a beautiful, artistic, creative God. Let the beauty and the favor of the Lord, our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And when fear and apathy and selfishness creep in, I want you to remember 1 Chronicles 28, 20. Um, my friend Leslie shared it with us at our mentorship meeting. And there's one phrase in there that is like, okay, it's simple, let's do it. King David is talking to his son Solomon and David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do it. God is saying, just do it, get to work. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. If you have been waiting on a sign from God to step into what he is calling you to do, today he has given you a sign. Today he is telling you, step in, do the work. Do not let fear, do not let apathy, do not let selfishness, do not let doubt, do not let your age, do not let your gender, do not let your economic background stop you from stepping into bearing the image of God. Our world, a deep darkness has fallen on our world, but he says, arise and shine for the light of the Lord is shining upon you. And if you have given your life to Christ and you are in Christ, then wake up up and step into it. I am telling myself this this morning too. The Lord has put a new passion in my life to get to work doing the things that he's called me to do. So as we move into this time that we call expressions, it's an opportunity for us to express, to respond to what God has been speaking to us this morning. He has been speaking through his people. He's been speaking through song. He's been speaking through his word this morning. And so we invite you during this time, if you've really been struggling with a lack of purpose, write it down and nail it to the cross, surrender it to him. If there's selfishness that rises up inside of you like me, nail it to the cross and leave it give it to him. He will take it and follow the example of Christ. Maybe for you today, we invite you to pray with our pastors and elders in the back. Maybe you, you do want some, someone to kind of help reignite that passion in your life. Our pastors and elders are there to pray over you, to pray for you, to pray a blessing and a favor of God upon the work of your hands. 
Maybe today is a day where you are reminded of the body and blood of Christ that was broken and shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And you say, yes, God, I am a sinner and I need you. I cannot do this apart from you. We invite you to partake in communion, the body and blood of Christ. Maybe today is a day that you stand and you worship him in song and you declare, oh, how majestic is the name of the Lord our God because in his kindness, in his knowledge of understanding, he is inviting us, calling us in to cultivate the land around us. Father, we thank you so much that you go before us and that you stand behind us. We thank you that you hide us in the shelter of your wing, but you also ask us to put our hand to the plow and to do the work. God, thank you. Oh, how how magnificent is your name and your splendor and your majesty. Thank you for inviting us into the work that you've created for us to do. Father, if there is anyone here today that feels far off from you, that feels like, yeah, that doesn't apply to me, we stand against that lie in the name of Christ and we ask that you open their eyes, that the eyes of our heart will be enlightened to see the riches of the inheritance that you are giving to us in Christ Jesus, that you are inviting us to be co-heirs with Christ, to reign and to rule with kindness and mercy and self-control and gentleness and faithfulness and love, Father. May we do this and may we honor you in all we do. We ask these things in Jesus' name.